time lapse. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Denardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on NPS. Is that a benchmark that's still relevant? And why? Um, what are the best creative ways to measure it? And so my, uh, my hot take on this from is that I do think the metric that is in, in general is important. I think that how a lot of companies choose to measure it is inefficient and not very smart. And so what I've done in the past is like, I, I feel like companies, when they do this thing, send an automated email after a survey or every once in a while. And it's just basically a, a way to check the box and say, okay, we're doing okay. Um, and what I would like to do is layer on a little bit more effort and qualitative information into that. One... One thing that I did in probably 2016 that I think is really interesting for people to do this, maybe on a semi, depending on the size of your company and the scale and stuff like that, semi-annually or annually, is that I would take a, whether it's Zoom info or something like that, I would pull email addresses of my target ICP at a certain number of people per accounts and not, not distinguish between whether they're a customer or they're not. And then from there, I would do, I would pull it into Qualtrics and you can, when you have Qualtrics or a different email server like that, you can actually send via their domain. So it, and then you can have it. So it looks like a third party market research firm. I don't know whether or not this is legal. If it's illegal, I didn't do it. Um, and then I would send and I would have layers of questions inside of it. So the first one would be, for instance, like, who do you think is the best brand in this category? Unaided awareness. Who do they think is the best? And give them, it's not a set of answers. It's literally a, like a text box. The next question would then present them with the options. So it would be, it would include the brand that they had written and inserted down, plus all the other ones that we think are available. And it would say, out of all of these brands, which ones have you heard of? And then you have aided recall. And then, I mean, obviously there's probably a better way to do this. And then the next place would be rate the, the brands that you've heard of. It would pull those answers down and say, out of those, rate them on these different things. Usability, this, how, how they think about the brand. Um, another qualitative one could be, what's the first like word that comes to mind when you see this logo? And then you can make a word cloud off of that. And some of that stuff is really interesting the brands that people think are cheap and inexpensive or, or it, those things bubble up to the top when you have 500,000 responses in your target market. Um, and so that's kind of like, it's not necessarily NPS, but it does give it for me, it gave me a sense of how the overall market views us relative to other potential players. So I don't know how much you caught. I just broke down one question about NPS and we got a nice little roadmap here. I think the best place to start will be, um, you called it out in one of your LinkedIn posts and I have some really interesting thoughts around it, um, which and you can get it started with a lot more context that was in the post, which was warning signs of inbound demand plateau. 
So just want to hear hear what that is because I hear a lot of people talking about it like just for for context like I've heard people say that 25 million ARR is when you should prepare for it to plateau or whatever it is I don't know if a revenue value is the right way to look at it but that's what I've heard so why don't you uh yeah talk tell us how you think about that yeah yeah I you know I, I agree with you Chris I don't feel that revenue value is the way to look at it the way that I would look at it is like once you've ranked as high as you possibly can organically for every money keyword and arguably every comparison keyword, every feature keyword, um, any kind of keyword that educates your buyers that would lead to a sale. Like once you rank as high as possible for all those and you start to realize that on the organic side, you're doing as, you're doing as best as you can and you pretty much have hit every keyword, every long tail, every question. In, in AdWords, you've essentially done the same thing. Like you're bidding on all the keywords that you know are going to produce value and you're basically maxing out on your bids there. It, then it just becomes a, you know, kind of like a day trading thing. You just kind of see what happens over time and then optimize on an ongoing basis. But, you know, once you kind of have those two plus brands, it's humming, you probably have a podcast and things like that. But over time, like let's say you've been doing this for three, four, five years, and you start to see like the trend just slowly but surely just getting more and more and more kind of on a decline, then what do you got to do? <laughs> you know, you're eventually going to have to open up a new stream. And that's where I think the conversation starts. What, when you say decline, what metric would you be looking at to sense that? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking at um, pipeline velocity. I'd be looking at pipeline amount. I'd be looking at also lead size, lead line sizes. So if you're a company that has like <clears throat> various ranges of uh, opportunity sizes, because what you're going to see is that like, you're going to have to start going to bigger deal sizes and with, and with inbound, those don't really come in too often. You know, that's, that's like one of the big things at Nextiva that we're focused on. For example, it's like, Hey guys, we need average revenue per account to start increasing. And the only way that that's going to happen is if you have a good mix of outbound and inbound working together. And I don't see how you could just rely on inbound and hope that your average revenue per account is going to go up in a mature market in um, a big industry where you're already a leader. So that's kind of where the, the origin of the thought comes from. Yeah, I, I hear that. I think when, when I hear that, a couple things first come to mind is, is how do you define inbound? Um, in the context that that I heard there, it it sounded mainly through SEO and SEM. Um, is that what you were thinking? Yeah, basically SEO, SEM. Yeah, and so um, it is one one hundred percent agree. If you are waiting for people to search and find you, then that will plateau you. There's only so many people that are going to be moving into a buying cycle at a certain period of time, and that will that will plateau. The first place right. where I've found to break through that is to then focus to use cold targeted paid social to drive awareness, which drives more people into a buying cycle and would then funnel through SEO, SEM. Um, I found that as a, as a, the first way to break through that pillar. Um, right. Then the plateau, sorry. The next one would be focusing on, like you had mentioned, the brand stuff, organic thought leadership podcast. I think a lot of companies 
do those things. Actually, I, I know uh, I watch a lot of companies do those activities and think they've plateaued and they have barely scratched the surface. They're like, yeah, we're doing all we can in LinkedIn and they're posting three times yeah. a week with a link and getting two likes. They're saying, yep, <laughs> we're building thought leadership content, but it's an ebook a quarter and it's all gated and nobody's watching it or nobody's seeing it. Um, and right, so like right. if it, I would challenge a lot of people to think about whether or not their activities have actually plateaued or if what they're doing has become stale, right? Like has the channel plateaued right. or is what you're doing in the channel plateaued? Um, right. And so, uh, yeah, those are just some, some thoughts off the cuff. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, do you feel that like every channel can plateau at some point though? Like imagine like, you know, let's use Nexiva, for example. We don't have a 20 ACV product. You know, we're mm-hmm. more like in the 10K range. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so because we're in the 10K range, it makes it tremendously difficult to tap into channels like, like LinkedIn because it's just the math just doesn't make sense. Agree. On Facebook, on Facebook, you know, it's also a challenge because that's actually where a lot of the garbage leads come from. So, so mm-hmm. you don't really get that. So you don't really get that sweet spot if you're Nexiva on social or paid social or paid acquisition from social. So then you could start thinking about like verticalization strategies and tapping into um, communities. Like for example, uh, when I was leading the marketing team at Sales Hacker, that was one of the main reasons why brands came to us to do sponsored webinars and all these sorts of sponsored plays because we had a really strong angle with community. Um, but for the kind of products we sell, there really isn't any community. So. <laughs> That, that makes it tough as well. But I guess circling back to the, to the last thing on this is like, do you think it's possible to max out every channel and then just realize, all right, what are we going to do now? I, if you're driving to a, a conversion endpoint, then I totally agree that they will plateau, right? Um, when you start and when, you, when that happens, when your performance marketing or those types of things where you're measuring it on a lead number or lead quality, whatever you want, that stuff will plateau. And at that point, you need to focus on communication, I feel like. Right. Um, and right. when you change your mindset about how you're using a channel, I think it opens up a lot of other um, opportunities, Right. Right. Um, right. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's partially about how the channel's being used. Right. So for instance, like, like let's just pretend I'm working with a company there spend, we're spending a hundred thousand dollars a month on Facebook and you know, two, two or three months in a row, that channel is generating a certain amount of pipeline and it's been flat. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. some people, some people would say that the channel has plateaued or perhaps just the activity that you've been doing in the channel has plateaued. You need to change your strategy. Like instead of posting, having one piece of content and spending $25,000 on four pieces of content a month, maybe what you need to do is narrow your audience and create 40 pieces of content and spend less on them for a more narrow audience and see what that would change. Right. And so there's a right. lot of different um, dynamics when, when you start breaking them into detail, but I, yeah, do, I, agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think, you know, by the way, to get to the point where everything is truly maxed out is so, <laughs> it's so rare. Like, I don't know of any, you should never get to, to that, that point. point. Yeah. You should never get yeah. to that point because you, <laughs> you should be continuing continuously innovating, whether in product R and D or M and A, you should always be able to continuously have new customers flowing in and cross sell and all those different things. That's what right. I feel. Right. Like look at look at yeah. Salesforce. If Salesforce plateaued, 
Oh, they, they'll never plateau. They'll never <laughs> That's what plateau. I'm saying. Maybe a better conversation is like, I think SEO can plateau. For sure. SEO, SEM, 100%. Yeah, I think SEO, SEM can definitely plateau. Like if you're a business like Nextiva though, you're going to rely on channel partners and resellers mm-hmm. to be that next, that next leg of growth. And so with that in mind, I think inbound for a company like Nextiva will never, never truly end. But to close out, maybe we can just agree that like, if you really do want to get those high quality deals coming in that are larger than average contract values and stuff like that. Yeah. Channel partners and resellers can definitely bring them in, but you also got to do some spear fishing. Like you got to start building that outbound motion. 100%. Otherwise it ain't going to happen. Cool. This is the yeah. second one that you requested. We talk about, and I think this one's really interesting. Um, it's kind of meta because if you really, if you really think about it, it's what we're doing right now um, in some fashion, but not really, but you had uh, you wanted to talk about the death of the gated webinar. And I I mean, if you really framed it up, you could pretend this is a gated webinar, right? Like everyone had to enter their email address in, but we're not really presenting anyway. The mechanics are sort of like a a gated webinar, but would love for you to kind of tell us why this is not part of that category. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is gated, but it's not in the traditional sense of a webinar where here's the intros and here's the opening slides. And here's about our company. We do this, this, and this. We're partnering with this co-partner to market and here's what they do. And by the right, way, we have this right. offer that we'll tell you about later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But wait, there's more. And you know, 30 minutes of the webinar, you still haven't gotten any information that's useful or valuable. So, <laughs> you know, with that, with that in mind, it's like, why wouldn't every company just move to the format that we're doing? Cause it's just so much better. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring this up was because there may still be like a small slice of the pie where some companies can get value out of that model. Like I'll give you the example of sales hacker. Like that's how sales hacker made money. Sales hacker made money by sponsored webinars. Like companies would pay us a good chunk of money and we would email our database, our list. And in return, um, they would, get exposure to our, our database and put together a quote unquote thought leadership driven, um, you know, con- content, uh, show. That's, a, that's the way I like to look at it, a content show. And, um, at the end of that, they would get the registrants and they could do what they want with it. And of course, you know, they would follow up and, and try to get sales conversations and leads out of it. Um, but you know, I think, I think what's interesting about that is companies were actually getting, getting revenue out of that. Like they kept coming back and kept paying over and over again. So they wouldn't keep doing that if it wasn't working. And I think the reason why it was working. Yeah. But I think, I think the reason why it was working for these companies is because they weren't just doing webinars and that was it. Like let's use Gong. For example, Gong was like a top sales hacker customer and Gong is so beast at like omni channel, you know, they're hitting you from every angle. They're actually starting to get good at SEO. Now they're obviously great at brand at video at organic social. They're doing outbound. They're doing guest posting. They're doing like all these things. So I think the, the, the bottom line is that like, if you're a company like Gong and you leverage sales hackers for a couple of sponsored webinars, it can work if you have a really strong omni-channel presence, mm-hmm. but it's not a hack by any means. Like if yep. you're like a startup that thinks you can just go pay sales hacker, you know, X amount of money for a, a webinar, I think you're going to get leads and revenue. Like you're sorely mistaken. So what, let's talk about why, what are the reasons that companies wouldn't do the format that we're doing right now? And I'll give you two straight away. Yeah. One, one is that 
it's hard. It's hard yeah. to have a subject matter expert that can deliver value and have people consistently come back. I'm not tooting my own horn. It, ju- it just is like, that's the, that's just the truth. Um, yeah. But the, the more important one is that the way they set up their measurement doesn't allow them to do it because and I did this. I think I did this phrase in like episode three and I will bring it back for everyone that wasn't there. If we were having this thing and then tomorrow morning you got a cold call from my SDR I don't have one, but if you if there was a fictitious SCR that cold call all of you, you wouldn't come back <laughs> next week. I just you know that that's the truth, and so and so yeah. like the way that they use this type of format would not be successful. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I actually saw an interesting um, <clears throat> Twitter thread where this guy, uh, I think it was like a VP of marketing at some company. He was like, "Stop gating content." in like all caps, major exclamation points. And it started going Sounds wild like on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it <sounds> like me too. <laughs> and, you know, I was reading through the comments because as you know, Chris, Twitter comments can reveal the darkest, most deepest inner thoughts about the way people think. Um, and, you know, there were some people that were like, yeah, fuck gated content. I hate it. It's stupid. And then there were some people were like, that were like, well, how are you going to do attribution then? Yep. Are you going to get leads then? I get the pushback so, all the time. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it just kind of made me remember, like, there are people that are never going to get out of that mentality of, like, we need to, <laughs> you know, we essentially yeah. need to do this. We've been trained to do this. We have, a, we have a pillar piece of content. Yeah. We're going to j- create SEO. We're going to have people there. They're going to have to download the PDF. We're going to put them in a nurture. We might put them in a sales cadence when they hit a, hits a certain score. And we're going to do the same right. thing we've been doing for the past 10 years. Right, right. right. And, and actually, I, I see that as an advantage for people out there who want to be different and actually 100%. do what's right. Huge advantage. <laughs> right, for, like, for people that are closest Everyone's- to how people how people consume information and want to buy things and want to be marketed to and want to be interacted with in ways that that work for them, um, I think yeah. is is a huge advantage. Um, just like yeah. just being being as close to your customer as you can. Cool. Yeah. Um, we'll pause yeah. right here. After exactly. it's really hard to do. Um, anyone that has a question, feel free to drop it in. We got one more topic here. We got a couple questions coming in, but we're happy to. Uh, definitely answer whatever you got. So the third one we have today, um, and I, maybe we should, maybe you should help us define this cause I don't really know how it's defined, but the idea of, um, integrated campaigns, like oh, you, you had called this out. I mean, to me, it just sounds like I, I do, I don't know, doing marketing PM. What is it? <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, the, so basically integrated campaigns is in my opinion, another thing that like marketers have just made up CMOs have just made up in order to sound smart about what they're doing. Hmm. And maybe the broader, and maybe the broader conversation here is like, what is a campaign period? Like, what is that? I would mean? love to talk about that. I have, yeah, that, I think I have a unique yeah. view on that. Let's go in that direction. I, yeah. Back to integrated let's campaigns. Go, let's, go ahead. Yeah, let's let's do that. So, you know, campaign as an idea is like the macro concept, and I think the integrated is kind of the micro. And in terms of like the macro, when I think of like what a marketing campaign is, you know, I think it works great for B two C. You know, Nike just do it. The stuff that they did with Colin Kaepernick. Um, 
you know, there, I, there's many other examples, like Wendy's does a bunch of them. And they call, and I think a lot of them also refer to this as like activations, which is another very interesting term. And I think it's defined very loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in B2B, I just really can't see it working. I just really can't see somebody saying, hey, we want to push this branded theme, this, this brand theme, you know, of whatever it is. And we just use that same theme over and over again. It's like more of a message in play across our display ads and our meta titles on our SEO, on our landing page headlines, on our Google ads campaigns, um, social, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we just keep beating it to death until we're known for this thing. Now, very few companies have ever done this right. And I think like Gainsight did it with customer success and Drift did it with conversational marketing. But to me, that's not a campaign. That's a category building activity. (laughs) <laughs> that's the way also, I think of it. Yeah, it also comes down to whether you're using my, like the Marketo Salesforce definition of campaign or more global. And we'll just talk more global, mm-hmm. like in general, the way that I'm seeing it. Um, I'll give you an example of one that I, I would consider like an actual campaign um, mm-hmm. that we did. So we, um, 2016, we had a clinical trial that was awaiting publication and a major thing that was saying that our product was as good as our competitor, but with less side effects was like a big deal. And so we built a Mm -hmm. campaign around that. So the first piece, and it was all content driven. And so the first piece that came out was like a, a quasi press release that I talk about a lot. Press release, this study came out, this is what it found. Here's what you should do next. There was a CTA at the bottom where they could watch the the person present the, the trial in a 10 minute video. We then chopped up that 10 minute video. We put some of that stuff out um, through paid. We continued to stack on top of that one um, core like news item. And we did that for mm-hmm. about a six week quote unquote campaign. And so I think that mm. if, it's, it's almost, it was just, it was a communication campaign, right? We wanted them to know mm-hmm. that this was out and they, we wanted them to understand it deeply and how, how important it was for their job. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think if you, if you build it more around either like an idea or like in a, something like that, I'm, I'm trying to think out loud here, but that's the, that's the only one where I've seen it work, which is like a, a multi, multi-piece content campaign. Um, right. But in general, when I do it, I think about it, I, I just think about a campaign as in a, um, there's a piece of content that I'm promoting. Mm, or there's mm-hmm. a, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of it the same way. I think of it as, you know, we just relaunched, we just launched an exclusive kind of research report with industry trends that only we know because we surveyed our customer base and we also surveyed leaders in the market and um, et cetera, et cetera. And now mm-hmm. we want to push this campaign to promote the content, but it's really just a content promotion execution. I still wouldn't even consider that a, that a mm-hmm. campaign. You know what I mean? Distinction. Yeah. Cool. So back yeah. to, any, I mean, back I don't to know, I don't know how you define it. Yeah. So maybe before we do that, like how do you define a campaign? Like how long does it go? What should be a part of it? What mm-hmm. channels? Like I know a lot of companies that are spending tons of time just kind of like way overthinking it. Like we need to plan out the years are, you know, the, the next half of the year's campaigns. What are the campaigns going to be? Oh, let's do a move to the cloud campaign. This is a really oh, important do, uh, one for people. This is really important Yeah. of, of not doing that. Like I, th- I think that you can have like core th- things that you need to do that are centered around a time bound thing. Like we are going to this event in November and at that event, we're going to record 20 interviews. And so in December, 
we're going to have the 20 interviews that we can promote. Like, I think that there are ways that you can plan, but the idea that you know what topic you're going to be talking about in six months, I just, I I don't think that that planning is required anymore. (laughs) Let's be agile, right? Like your customers are moving by the time that we're there, the whole, like we've, we now know how much the world changes can, can change quickly. Right. And so like, I, I plan it in like two to four week sprints and use the, yeah. and it, because it, when you put it out, you will typically learn a lot. Like, especially if you have like a, an audience that on LinkedIn or an organic channel, the audience is going to continuously tell you where to go. Um, and so I find that planning to happen like in a meeting in a boardroom or something where there's not <laughs> enough, there's not enough customer um, components to, to planning it. Right. Right. No, I agree with you a thousand percent. There's, there does seem to be a tremendous disconnect in the way companies operate, especially big companies, publicly traded companies. Like they'll, they'll really get big on this. Like, yes, we have to know how much we're going to, Oh, that's another thing. Budget. What's mm. my budget allocation? What's my resource? Um. <laughs> you know, I hate going into these rabbit holes. Like guys, six months from now, we have no idea what's going to happen in the market. There could be a huge merger that shakes everything up. Coronavirus could come and smack everyone in the face. And then we're not going to know what's going to happen after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the way I like to think about it is agile marketing in, uh, like you said, two week sprints. Some companies opt to do a, um, um, like a quarterly basis where they kind of do this, um, OKR, objectives yeah. And key, yeah, this objectives and key results thing, like, for example, and it'll be based on sales performance or sales goals. So, for example, if it's something like uh, we're noticing a lot of junk leads are coming in from a few specific sources. So a big objective for this quarter is going to be reducing unqualified and junk leads. That, to me, makes a ton of sense, like continuous ongoing optimization in an agile fashion that aligns to the needs of sales rather than hey, what big fluffy marketing campaign ideas do we want to push? Let's plan it out for a whole year. I just don't see how that, that, that can work. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. Last, last point on that is and something that I would really, especially if you're spending on media, one thing that I would really encourage you to think about and something that I have been doing for a, a long time, which pushes against what a lot of people um, think or, or approach it in this way, which is that like a lot of people will hand us $50,000 and say, we want to run this campaign. Here's $50,000. <laughs> and what I tell them, what I tell them is we should, we should spend the amount that the campaign, uh, the performance justifies. If we know this isn't right. going to work in $250, then I'm going to stop spending it. And if we hit 50 and it's right. driving a positive ROI, we should keep spending. And that's, we should be spending right. based on performance, not saying this is something that we're going to run for 50 K. Um, I do right. think that's, it, it comes, I don't know if it comes from the B2C world where basically they'll go to a media agency and Hey, we need to do this television spot here, $6 million. Or I don't, I don't exactly know where, how that's gotten into, into this, that mindset's gotten in here into B2B, but yeah. um, we have enough real time data to know whether or not it's working. Unlike when you run a Super Bowl commercial, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It runs and then you figure out whether or not it worked after we can figure out with digital channels, we can figure out if it's working in a lot faster fashion. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> you know, I know at Nextiva, we definitely don't do that. We definitely don't say, all right, we want to throw 50K at something. Let's do it. You know, that's just not the, that's just mm-hmm. not the way we think. That's just not the way we operate. And what it, you know, maybe to close this out, what it may come down to is just like, 
ways of thinking and fundamental just, you know, lack of strategic alignment on just the way fundamentals about marketing should be should be run that that yeah. might just be what it is the la- the last kind of like um interesting piece is that um it, it's funny when when you come in under budget and you had better results than they expected and they yell at you for not spending on the budget <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, there was, yeah, yeah we had nothing to spend yeah. it on we did here here are the results yeah you know? <laughs> Yeah, anyway. yeah, no, I, dude, I totally know what you mean. There, yeah, like you'll, you'll probably get, you'll probably get the. So if you knew that there was excess budget, why didn't you move it to some other channel and just, you know, blow it? <laughs> yeah. Because um, that's you know, I guess putting spend putting it like back it's your own bank. money, right? Like, yeah, it's a huge. Yeah. It's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. It's really interesting for people to think about. Is if it was your own hundred thousand dollars, would you still and you needed an ROI? Would you still build that trade show booth? Right. Would right. you? I know I wouldn't. Like, I know I, I know wouldn't. I, I definitely wouldn't. And so <laughs> it's, it's a really, um, yeah. when you think about it, when you change your mindset around that, it's like, is this, you know, is, is this $80 CPM on LinkedIn ads really worth it? Right. Right. So interesting mindset. Cool. Let's transition. We got yeah. some questions. Um, anyone, uh, anyone has, has any, feel free to drop them in the chat. We got two here. Okay. Um, okay. So Julian's is interesting. I think you'll have some good, good, uh, insight on this. It's, I'm pretty confident in terms of what to report on is what he says, but I'd be interested to hear how you report. Do you email dashboards? Do you have weekly calls? Do you build 20 slide decks? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, interested to hear how you do it and then I'll share mine. Yeah. So I guess it's just, uh, demand gen reporting then. Sure. Yeah. Up to, which is pretend either up to the CMO or executive level. Yeah. So it's pretty simple. You know, I'm not a big fan of like tracking a million things. Um, I think that can just cloud the truth in many ways and it can create confusion and just like the way I think about it is like, what do I want to show my CMO? And what, and what do I want to show my CEO and my CFO? And they only care about really a few things. They care about leading indicators and lagging indicators. And they only care about a few of them. So on the leading indicator side, all they really care about is traffic by source, lead volumes generated by source, and that's and, and, con, and front-end conversion rate metrics. So things like um, visitor to landing page conversion rates across chat, uh, website forms, and phone calls. That's it. So that's the leading indicators. Without those things, you're not going to understand the back-end lagging indicators. On the lagging indicators, and maybe you can even consider um, lead sizes or opportunity sizes by source as a leading indicator. could be a lagging indicator. It depends Mm -hmm. on how you want to chop it up, but... I think that's a really important one too. The executives totally care about that quite a lot. And then what they want to see is sales conversion rates across all those things that I just said. So they want to know um, across by line size distribution. So you should have like your line sizes or your lead sizes bucketed out into buckets. That's going to help a lot. And then they want, they're going to want to know like, what is the rate at which each bucket of line size or lead size opportunities 
gets presented with a contract. So that's lead to proposal rate. Then they're going to want to know what is the proposal to close rate. Then even beyond that, what they're going to want to know is customer stickiness by channel or by source. So the average revenue per account, they're also going to want to know how long does that customer stick around? It looks like the 90-day term. And then what they're ultimately going to want to know is what is the cost to acquire a customer compared to the lifetime value of that customer, the classic SaaS CAC to LTV ratio metric, which all executives care deeply about. Uh, it's, it's not about cost per lead. Cost mm -hmm. per lead is, is, is a trend that you should be aware, aware of and just you should understand what that's about. And it's going to help you with like AdWords optimizations, but you t executives aren't really going to care that much about cost per lead. They want to know cost to acquire a customer. That's what they're going to want to care about. And I think that's pretty much it. So break it up into two buckets, leading and, and lagging indicators, figure out what your cohorts are by deal size and start your optimization based on that reporting. Cause the whole goal of the reporting is to really just tell you two things. Was this a good month or a bad month? Are we trending up or down positively in the long term? And then beyond that, it's like, where do we need to make adjustments? Where are we fucking up? Where can sales not close deals? Like if we're ranking number one for a highly technical and important buyer term, but sales can't close any of those deals, well, then it's a sign that either sales need sales training, our product it lacks a feature, that's where you start digging in and finding out where those root problems exist. And that's really the point of the reporting. It's not really to create like these fancy dashboards and overwhelm everybody with a ton of metrics. Like you really just need to break it down into two simple buckets, leading versus lagging indicators, align with sales on what should be reported onto the executive team every month and just go from there. Yeah. A couple, a couple key points on that. You mentioned CPL and something not reporting on. I still get asked about that by a lot of people. Some people are like, what's my benchmarks? What should my CPL be? Um, and obviously that is super dependent on so many factors of the business that it just doesn't make sense to throw out a number. Like it should be $25. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. One thing that I tried, yeah. um, and I'm still, the jury's not out, but I have a feeling that it's not going to work, but just for transparency, I tried to shift the mindset from CPL to what I call, whatever you want to call it, cost per qualified opportunity um, uh -huh. to make it one more step for companies that do super heavy performance and have a big bottom drop out of that. And you want to change the behavior, just report on cost per qualified opportunity instead of CPL. And that will expose that problem to executives. Um, the challenge is that if, if you have good SCRs that are following up on those, they'll get the people to the meeting and they'll get paid. They just won't become customers. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. and so it, I, I have a feeling that, that, that changing that will not make the impact that I had initially, um, initially thought it ends up ultimately coming down to CAC and win rates, um, from those, but yeah, just, I just wanted to yeah. share that. And then when you look at reporting, um, I'll talk a little bit more about like how, how I did it, whether I'm reporting to a client or whether I'm report, whether I would, re if I was working at leading demand gen, what I would do. Um, one of the, so initially core, what I would call single source of truth dashboard on marketing performance that everyone agrees to and is aligned with how they're filtered, how it's set up, all those different things. Number one, 
across the executive team and sales and marketing. This is the way that we are reporting and anyone can go in there and get the metrics. So there's no like, yep. oh, are you looking at, are you looking only at with, with this create date or, or is it closed date or how are you, how are you filtering? Like eliminate all those yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. And then what I would do is either on a Saturday or Sunday, I loved doing it that at that time because I knew most people would read it. And so I would send them on Saturday or Sunday. Um, Sunday afternoon worked very well for me in read time and getting like if I was trying to get more visibility to my initiative, sending it at 4.30 on a Sunday, knowing that the CEO would read it later that day was good. Um, yeah. And so I would Sunday report. afternoon is the best. Yep. And, and it also, for whatever reason, it gave me time to like think and reflect. And so it would start, it, it would have a short, maybe two to three paragraph, um, basically like highlights and things that aren't working. Um, we're trending this much to pipeline, blah, 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 blah. And then underneath it would be the key metrics that I'm reporting on and the key metrics that I would be reporting on is SALs for lack of a better term, opportunities created, however you want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. New pipe that's entered uh, sales qualified stage three. If you have a long sales cycle, it would be stage three. Um, the amount of pipeline and how that's trending. And then the amount of revenue that has come in month to date or quarter to date or, or year to date, however you want to report on it or all three and how that's trending to the plan that we set out to. Um, mm -hmm. And then the last metric that I found really interesting to report on is percent revenue contribution that has come through a buyer raising their hand, coming inbound, saying, I want to buy something from you. Not coming through SEO, SEM, but coming to you and saying, mm -hmm. hey, I'd like to speak to your sales rep, whether that's through chat, phone call, demo request form, contact us, you know, walk right. into your front door, any of those things. And that's what I would, I would report on that contribution versus us needing to go and activate a sales process going outbound or another, another way. And then in, at the end of the email, I would always link, not that people, I would expect people to do it, but I, if they had a question on a metric, I would always link back to the dashboard where the data came from. Cool. That's the move. That's the move. Okay. We got a, we got a couple other questions here. Uh, this came in through email. I know, I know he's not here. Okay. Um, you and G have both made it clear that marketing efforts should be tied to revenue. I'm on board with that. Could you dig into that and show how you are actually doing it? Um, that one's going to be kind of tough to sh to show, and I kind of just mentioned it, so I just don't want, I don't want to be repetitive for everyone that's here. <laughs> but like I said, yeah, um, for the people that come to you and say I want to talk to your sales rep, if you're doing eBooks and stuff, you can you can count if that's the source, and then you're going outbound. You would still count that as marketing source, but I would highly encourage you to break them between whether there's buying intent or whether there's content interaction, because the right. metrics between those are going to be very, very different. And you don't mixing the two gets, gets confusing in terms of how to make strategic decisions. Um, and so that's the most clean cut, easy way, not having to focus on channel, like channel attribution. You have to know that as a marketer, but you shouldn't be reporting on that. And if, if you're being asked to report on that, then for a direct response channel, you should feel very good about, we spent this much in AdWords, we got this many submissions, we did this. AdWords is fine. And then you, we need to educate executives on why, if we're using Facebook or LinkedIn for that matter, as an awareness channel, why we should be measuring it on awareness-based metrics like content consumption or engagement or things like that, not on leads. An awareness-based mm -hmm. campaign should not be measured on leads, but that's what that's the, that's the fallback for people. Um, maybe you, maybe that would be, uh, interesting for you to jam on for a second, which is like what, when people get asked that question, cause everyone, anyone here that's doing 
demand gen that's trying to run a content-based awareness campaign and spending more than $1,000 will inevitably be asked by a CFO or CEO or CMO or anyone, how many leads did we get from that case study campaign that we didn't gate and we gave away to our buyers? Yeah. So here's the way we think about it at Nextiva. And honestly, like this is very rare. Just, uh, just straight up many people in the B2B world of just doing business, not just marketing, but just CEO, everyone, they don't really think like this, but this is, this is the way we think about it. Um, so the best example I can give is like Pipedrive believed in the philosophy of activity-based sales. And, and the, the main like principle behind that was like, if you're doing the right activities, then the results are going to come. It's just like kind of going to the gym, you know, like you don't really set a target of like, yeah, I have to lose this much weight or I have to gain this much muscle. But if you go to the gym and you do the right exercises the right way and you don't cut corners, then good results are going to happen. So that's kind of the way we think about it at Nextiva. Like if we are going to do an article called, you know, the top 100 call center features for 2020, we know that we're, the goal is to rank organically for call center features. And we just want the people who are searching for that to find it and consume it. And then the way we kind of measure the effectiveness of that content is content consumption metrics, things like organic traffic, um, average time spent on page, scroll depth, and also clicking through deeper into the site. Mm -hmm. So we place, we place very strategically internal links to our money pages from that asset. And all we really look at is did a visit from that call center metrics blog article go through to the call center VoIP landing page that talks about features and, you know, has pricing on it and it's more of a sales landing, landing page. Right. And then we can actually track assisted conversions as well. Uh, Google analytics does have a, have an assisted conversions report. So that's the way we think about it. And I think, you know, where a lot of companies get it wrong is like, Oh, that call center metrics article didn't generate any leads. It sucks. It's a waste of time. And it's only because they're looking at it in completely the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of content marketers in 2020 are, you know, they, they get disheartened or disappointed. Like they can't, they feel like they can't get any leverage going with their executive team just because they don't know how to like explain the way it should be measured and, and, and valued. Yeah. One of the things that we've put in place, um, so far, it 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 feels like it's working for more transactional models, single user type of things. I think in complex, it starts to break down, and I'll talk through why. But on Facebook, we have set up um, custom conversions for cross device attribution, knowing that mm -hmm. the content delivered to somebody they probably will not convert on that mobile click. People do. You can you can funnel them into a, a conversion. I just know the win rates aren't great, so I don't do that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so, somebody goes, they clicks on their, they click on, you know, your case study. They read it. They go back, um, and then you could know if seven days later they came back on desktop and they converted on the demo form, and it would be able to attribute that um, that content view view through conversion or click through um, conversion and not trace it back to the actual person, but at least be able to um, know that that influenced a conversion. Um, and so that's working in a, right. um, in a transactional two to three K ACV 
um, type of product right now for us. Um, I right. think as you start to get into higher ACVs, more complex buying cycles, sometimes, oftentimes the people that you're marketing to are not the person that actually comes in and converts or the problem-based, awareness-based things take time where you don't even hit the 28-day conversion window. Um, but I got that in place. I just thought people should know um, it is a, if you're running enough on Facebook and you're getting questions about it, it's probably a good place. It's probably a good thing to have in place anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I did. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, you just, you just, you just struck another idea for me. Um, Google analytics allows you to configure your goals based on whatever you want. So you don't necessarily have to set your goal tracking to, um, web form submission. You can set a goal to chats. You can set a goal as, you know, consumed the content for a certain duration of time has scrolled down this far, like however you want to do it. So you can actually set up your Google analytics, um, goal conversion tracking based on things that you feel are valuable that explain the value of the content rather than just, Hey, did we get a web form submission from this page or not? So that may be something for, for everyone to think about as well. And this is a super interesting data point at that account that I was talking about. So if you can look at the click through conversions, who clicks on the case study, reads it, clicks on get a demo and converts in one direct response visit versus somebody who sees the ad and then sometime later comes back on desktop and converts. Right now we're at somewhere between 80 and 90% of people saw the ad, didn't click on it, came back later and converted. And so huge, that, is, that is a huge. huge insight. Huge. I've qualitatively seen that. I've talked about how that works, but that is huge. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just, it's a, it's a sample size of one account. When I have it happen at six in different ACV ranges in different markets, I'll talk more about that finding. Um, we have it active on, um, three accounts now, so I'll keep you posted what we find. <clears throat> that's awesome, brother. That, that's huge. I love that. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so I think we, uh, we got one more. Um, and maybe you can, you can, okay. break, you can break this down. I think it would be cool. Um, just okay. a question from Alyssa, which is, uh, just describe a day in the life of a head of demand. Oh, shit. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it can, it can vary a lot. So first of all, um, you know, I manage a large team, um, of seven, about to be eight people. So a lot of my time is just spent helping the team out with things that they need help with. And this can vary from, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with a landing page, um, draft, you know, like a mock-up of the landing pages. Cause, uh, at next day the demand gen team leads the creation of all landing pages, both organic paid, etc. So it may, it may be working on something like that. Um, and then another thing may be, Hey, you know, we're bleeding on phrase match in our Google ads account. Let's, let's just do an impromptu deep dive on why that's happening. So then we'll spend a lot of time just going through why is that happening? Looking through the search terms reports, looking through the negative keyword list, looking at landing page conversion rates. Another thing that, that is going to happen regularly is listening to sales calls, interviewing our sales reps and interviewing customers. We do it every week. It's by far the most valuable marketing activity I think that we do because sure. it gives us insight. Yeah. It gives us insight into everything. Like, 
we'll come up with a draft for for like a feature page, right? And then we'll go then we'll go show it to like our top performing sales reps, and we'll be like, hey, does this accurately reflect the reality of our buyers? And they'll be like, ah, this does this hell no, this kind of does. I'd rearrange this. This doesn't make sense. What does this mean? This is wrong. What about these FAQs? Are these the kinds of questions that you're getting on sales calls? Uh, no, no one ever asked this. Oh yeah, this is a really important one. You know, so going through that whole process, I think with sales is just so huge. We do that a ton. Um, a lot of it is working on link building. So that's a organic SEO activity that helps us rank higher and boost rankings for key terms. Um, then I, I would say probably, probably 10% of my time is spent, um, just strategizing with like our CMO on like upcoming initiatives and just giving him a pulse check on like what's happening within the business and in terms of demand gen, um, looking at reporting, of course, we spend a lot of time on that. Um, and really that, that, those are like the big nuts and bolts of it. There's, there's obviously coordinating with social and doing paid social and all these other things, but it's me. It's me. And spending a lot of time with design and development as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge, 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 huge component. We spend a ton of time just working with our design team, um, through just the landing page drafts and the projects that we're working on design, like design is a critical component of everything we do. So, so the key is to really have demand gen development and design working together perfect in perfect harmony. Once you, once you get that rhythm going, man, it's, it's going to be scary what you can accomplish with the right strategy, but getting all those departments to work together in harmony can be tough. But um, once you do it, it's beautiful. So in, in a, in a summary, like in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. The, the same harmony happens with content, paid social, organic social. It's really, it's funny that you mentioned that, but the same thing Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're in sync and the content's coming through and it's being run and the feedback loops happening, the creative feedback from the audience is coming in. The whole system feels, it just runs, just works. Um, another thing, this is way more, way more top level, but something that I've been using for probably like three years now, um, is a framework. If you think about it, like in quadrants, I posted about this like 12 months ago. So if someone's been following me for that long, then, then you might've seen it, but there's imagine four quadrants and then in it, the four would be people process innovation results. And so if Mm -hmm. you were, and so most people, whether they're leading a team or not, will only focus on results and not that you need to break those up 25 each. It's going to vary and flex on a lot of, on a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. But knowing that the, if you're leading a team or leading a company, those four boxes should be covered or at least thought about. Um, and so if you, if let's just pretend that you're like, um, let's just pretend that you are the, you've been in SDR for 18 months, right? And the difference between continue like accelerating your career and staying in SDR for longer would be whether, are you just focused on hitting quota? Are you, are you, are you getting a hundred percent of quota or 80% 80 to hundred percent every month? Or are you pulling out, doing innovation, figuring out a new way to do something that's better, that works better, and then building a process so that other people could repeat it and then mm-hmm. showing the people and helping them level up to do it. And then you've got, and then you also are excelling at the current performance of results. And that's, that is really the difference in how I think, uh, I, I, that's what I've been using that I find is very helpful to make sure that I'm staying in all those important areas. 
Oh, dude, that's great. And I think the cool thing about innovation, when I first, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear innovation is like, oh, maybe using a new tool or, mm-hmm. you know, get, getting something improved from a technical standpoint. But I do love the idea of like, no, just figuring out how to use a channel a lot better than everyone else does it. That can also be yep. considered innovation, which is super cool. People, people think that innovation only happens in product. Like, mm, yeah, it can happen in a marketing channel, but I think the most interesting that B2B companies, at least when you start to see a lot of these um, product led companies is in channel. I think channel innovation will be the ma- sales channel. That is how you go to market yeah. channel innovation. I think will be one of the strongest things that happen in B2B over the next five years. And how yeah. is the dynamic of the, you know, 10 K ACV sales rep change over the next five years? I would say a lot of companies would be smart to help people get in the product without a sales rub at that, at that price yeah, point yeah. way higher. Dude, that's awesome. You know, to close out, maybe we can end on this, this nugget here. What, and I don't think I've ever even uh, brought this up before, but like the concept of product led growth, have you heard of this? Of course, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few guys out there like branding themselves, um, purely on this concept. Mm-hmm. Now I'll, I'll be honest. This is one area that like, I am just not familiar with. Like I, I've just never been at a company that really prioritized the, the concept of product led growth. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess the way it works in its most, you know, the basic way I could explain it is like, you start to look at like product usage metrics. So how often they use this feature versus that feature. And then you kind of build marketing around that. Um, but I haven't really heard too much about like people who are doing it really well. Mm-hmm. I was, I was curious to get your just general feelings on it. And, and if you've seen it working well for companies. Yeah. And so forgive me if I'm in the, in the wrong camp here, this is my understanding, but I do not pretend to be an expert here. Um, and so what I'm, when I'm thinking about product led growth, I think about HubSpot's free and then grow model as you're in the product, as you have more it's not even a value-based metric, but it gets you in the product and the product leads the growth of ARR, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is a transition from a sales-led company. Is Sales is the way that you get into paying, a, uh, being a paying customer and product would be you get into the product, you like it, and then you become a customer that way. Um, that's my understanding. I could be way mm-hmm. off here. Um, and it's funny because for some reason people have attached product led with organic. And when you are, interesting, I don't know why, um, but if you're a product led company, you are actually going to have to be a product and marketing led company, product and marketing and brand led company in order to get people in the product in order for them to use it. Right. Um, And so sure, organic could be, I guess organic could be a component of getting people into the $10 a month per user SaaS product. But mm-hmm. if it was led into a $2,000 a month offering when you have 20 users in there, um, I would be a lot more interested in figuring out how to get free trial signups for 15 bucks. Mm. Do, th- do you think, do you think that the, um, that the pricing strategy falls into that product led growth or do you feel like that kind of falls outside of it? Mm, I think they're connected, but separate, but it's almost like, I mean, 
you get in and then you get to a place where either like a core feature is locked. I'm in the HubSpot free tool, but I want to use automation or I'm in, you know, this tool and I want to add an integration and the integrations locked or whatever, whatever those things are. And at that point, you be you have to be move up in a pricing tier or something like that and then you could actually mm-hmm. i think the core idea is that you could actually just grow inside of the tool on your own you could upgrade downgrade do whatever not need a um a rep um that seems mm-hmm. like a uh, a really interesting concept one other direction that just came to my mind that i think is really interesting uh, the difference in companies in in the churn process and so i tried to I tried to part ways with a $99 a month product. Um, it was an annual subscription. It was like 45 days before I knew it was going to renew. And so I sent, you know, first off, it was horrible, incredibly hard to even just send them an email saying I would like to churn. Um, I do not want to renew my subscription. And then they replied to my email and I literally had to go through like 20 pages of... <laughs> of like, do you want this offer? Do you want this thing? Don't, don't leave. You haven't actually canceled yet. And then I would finally get through. <laughs> and then I finally got to the end and I hit cancel. And then I got an email from like a different person two days later. It's like, Oh, actually the notice period in the contract terms of service is 60 days. So I guess you're here for another year. <laughs> and oh man. It's like, Oh my God. And oh, then I, I, I had to, I DM the CEO on LinkedIn and I was like, this is ridiculous. And, and he took care of it. Wow. But, but the fact that you're going to make someone jump through all those hoops leaves a really bad taste in my mouth about that company. And imagine how I've probably already given them 20 customers based on referrals. And that stream is that stream's gone. And that's, I think like Mm. something that a lot of people should consider. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the cost of doing annoying, you know, retention processes uh, can definitely be more damaging. Maybe to close out, I'll just share this one thing that I thought was really cool. Uh, which is on a related note to what you just said. Um, Rand Fishkin from Spark Toro. Love the, there was, love the I know where you're going. I love this. Yeah. You know, you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. There was a tweet that went major. It, it went pretty major. Like everybody was like, you know, raving about this move, which I thought was so, was so dope. He, uh, he said, so before your credit card is about to get charged in a free trial, he emails you and says, Hey, Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect, um, we really want to make sure that you are absolutely happy with your trial. And we want to give you this warning in advance. In two days, your credit card is going to get charged. Um, If you don't want that to happen, just click here. All good. Because we really want like you to be happy. And we don't, we don't, we don't like how other companies have done shady things like just kind of charge your card without telling you because other people wouldn't send you this email because it, it increases cancellations. Yeah. Yeah. He like called it out for what it was. And I think like that honesty, transparency marketing uh, tactic is going to be, you know, the way to go basically from now until the end of time, because too many, too many like shady scammers and just, just uh, not even maybe that, but also just like not the right thing to do. A lot of companies have just been doing what's not right. Uh And people are just more hip to the scams now. And, um, if you, if you just keep it honest, you're just going to do so much better. Yeah. I mean, Rand is the man. Um, and I think, I think that that action is, um, it's just, just a brand execution, right? Like the amplification mm-hmm. on LinkedIn and Twitter of doing that was far greater than the three people that canceled because he sent the email, you know, right. I mean? 
and all the people right. that got the email and loved the product and didn't click. Imagine the, how much more affinity they have to the company for him doing that. And they continued to be a customer. I think it's a think right. It's a right. Good. Or imagine this, you're a free trialer and you see that tweet. That's, that's gotta make you feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I respect that move and I'm sure he'd probably, you know, if someone wanted to cancel, I'm sure he would have a similar thing. Like he wouldn't make you jump through a million hoops just to cancel. Right on. Cool. Well, cool. uh, this was awesome. The, uh, having you on audio was interesting. It's always kind of, you're, you're on a, a porch. Sometimes you're in New York city. Sometimes you got like a tank top on this time. I didn't see you cause you're on audio. You're out like doing your thing with a mask on. So, um, yeah, man, <laughs> always, a, always a pleasure to chat with you. Love seeing everyone here. Um, happy birthday. We were going to sing you happy birthday, but I will spare you. Um, but we all want to wish, we all want to wish you a happy birthday. And, um, yeah, I hope you have, I think you're taking some time off. So I hope you have some good time off too. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys. Thanks everyone. And, um, I hope you, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time.